Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that um, your presence has filled this place. God, we thank you for each and every life that you continue to impact. Lord, and we ask you uh, this morning, God, we, we pray just specifically for the pastor and his family, for traveling mercies and those uh, within our body that are traveling. God, we pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them. Lord, we ask you this morning that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Um, we ask you, Lord, that you would open our understanding, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what thus saith the Lord in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Amen. So if you were here uh, two weeks ago, uh, I started off in the book of Ruth, and we went through chapter one, just kind of walking through verse by verse, and uh, we talked about providential pain. We talked about the life of Naomi and, um, and Ruth and and Orpah, her sister-in-law, and just kind of that whole, that whole dynamic of God um, allowing the things in Naomi's life and her perspective in that providential pain. The book of Ruth is probably one of the um, greatest examples of the providence of God in the Bible. So before we go any further, um, I, I thought it would be good to lay down a definition of Providence, providence, and guys, I'll, I'll apologize for my nerdiness on the front of this because I just, word origins fascinate me, all right? So providence, uh, if, if you think the word providence, you're probably thinking provide, right? And, and, and you're correct, um, but there, there's, I think it's a little bit more than that. It comes from, there's a Latin word that is provideo, provideo, and that's where we get the, our word video from the word video or the Latin word videri means to see, to see. And so when you put pro in front of it, it is to see beforehand. So the, the second aspect of providence is providing on the basis of what is seen. And I think this is probably best seen in the, um, the story of Abraham when he offers his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And if you remember the name of that place, uh, he called it, Yahweh Yara or Jehovah Jireh, right? We have a song that we sing called Jireh. Well, the Hebrew word for Jireh, it literally means to see, to see, right? And so you think, well, how do we get provide from to see? And let me, let me put it like this, to see to it, to see to it. Like, have you ever had, heard, had anybody say to you, hey, see to it that you get everything that you need before you leave. See to it that you don't do such and such. So, See, to the, the third aspect of, of providence is the implied divinity. Who is going to see to it? God. God is going to see to it. So when we use this term providence, we're talking about God seeing to it in accordance with what he has seen beforehand. Now, that was probably a lot more exhausting than what I thought it was going to be. But um, this morning, I, I want to look at Ruth and Boaz's perspective in the midst of of providence in the midst of God's providential 
care. And so I've entitled this one Providential Perspectives. Providential Perspectives. Perspective determines how we live our life. Um, it's the old glass is half empty or is it half full, right? Perspective, how we, how we see the world and how we see the people in the world determine how we relate to the people in the world. The same, is the, the same is true with God. How we see God and how we see ourselves determines our perspective of that, determines how we relate to God. So, again, if you were here two weeks ago, we left off the end of Ruth chapter 1 with Naomi and Ruth having just returned from Moab. They come back to Bethlehem, and all of Bethlehem is excited. They see Naomi coming, and they say, hey, is this Naomi? Is this the Naomi that, that left 10 or 15 years ago? And it's not implied in the text, but uh, they're really thinking, and who's the Moabite woman that she's bringing back with her? Right? Who is this Moabite foreign woman that she is bringing into our community? Um, and they, they arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, we, we know from chapter 1 that, uh, that Naomi heard that there was bread to be found back in Bethlehem, and there was, there was a reason that they came back. And so they arrive uh, providentially at the beginning of the harvest. We have two widows. They're hurt, they're broken, and they're clinging on to any thread of hope that they might be able to catch some of the mercy drops of God's blessing upon his people. And that leads us to chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, uh, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And so her mother-in-law said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth is, she is asking to, for Naomi to allow her to go and provide, go and find provision for them. So this, this uh, practice of allowing people to, um, it, it's essentially allowing the poor to go into the, the fields of the crops that they had planted, and they would allow them to pick up what was left over after the people were harvesting. It's commanded in Leviticus 19.9. It says that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the people were commanded, when you have a crop, leave some for the poor and the stranger. Now this ancient social security, um, was no, it wasn't a handout, was it? Right? Like they didn't, they didn't walk up with their buckets and be like, all right, I'm ready for mine. You know, it was like, go out. Do what you can. There's some work involved. Go out to seek this provision. And it was to be left for the poor and the stranger. And Ruth was both of these poor and the stranger. But, but consider this. Consider Nobody has to tell her to go up and do, to get up and do this. Right? She says, she tells her mother-in-law, hey, please, please let me go and do this for her. And it speaks to her commitment, like her character. This is her lot in life. This is the opportunity that's been afforded to her. 
two widows arriving back from a foreign country and they have absolutely nothing. And this is her opportunity, uh, the equivalent of going and picking up aluminum cans in today's vernacular, and she embraces it. Like she embraces it, she owns this. Um, and you have, to, you have to wonder, this is Ruth, she's a Moabite. Do you think this might have been like strange to her? Right, just the idea that people would just let you come into their fields and start picking up the leftover. You have to wonder, she came from Moab. Did, did Moab have any kind of social security like this? Um, and, and, if, and if you remember from two weeks ago, we looked at just the idea of, man, what would have compelled Ruth and her sister-in-law to follow her mother-in-law all the way back out of everything that they had known? And, and let me submit this. Might it have been that the God-honoring aspects of Naomi, right? When, when a person lives their, lo- their life according to the word of God, that's intriguing, right? It's different, and it's especially starting to get more and more foreign in the day in which we live. Um, you, you have to want, when, she, when Ruth sees programs like this, like I can go in and pick up leftovers in somebody's field, man, that's, that's neat. Like, like that, is, that is intriguing, she sets her sights in verse 2. She says, I need to find favor in somebody's eyes. And so that kind of gives us an insight into her struggle. Like she's foreign. She's foreign. She needs to find favor in somebody's, in somebody's eyes. Like, like, like maybe somebody will have grace and mercy on me even though I'm a Moabite. She is hoping to find grace, but she doesn't sit around the house and wait on grace to find her. She goes out after it. Um, let's, let's continue on to verse 3. It says, Then she left. She went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. He was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Back in verse 3, it says that she happened to find. She happened to to come upon the field belonging to Boaz. You know, what the, you know what this verse doesn't say? It doesn't say that Ruth got up that morning and prayed for an hour and a half about which direction to turn out of her driveway. Right? It doesn't say that a light, a guiding light went before her and said, this is it, this is the field. Right? It doesn't say that the Spirit, of the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon her and said, hey, exit the highway, this is the one. Right? She goes out, she goes out, she, I, need, I need food, I need provision, I need to find a field. There's a field. I think I'll go there. Right? Just ordinary, mundane. And we know that this is probably one of the greatest stories of providence in the Bible. And yet, notice the ordinariness in which it takes place. Notice the, just the mundane. She gets out, she heads out, she finds a field. And it's my experience that providence tends to be most clearly seen when we look back on our lives and we look back on the ordinary, right? The mundane. And, and, and how many times have you looked back on the events of your life and you've seen the hand of God all over a situation, yet if you were to put yourself back in that position and the way that you were thinking and everything, like you didn't see it, right? You didn't see what God was doing for you. you, you there was an open door, but you might not have even seen it as an open door. And, and, and it's, it's the, the normality of the situation. And, and so we, we, we look at Ruth's perspective 
in that, and, um, and we find this. That there might have been dozens of fields outside of Bethlehem to go into. Ruth happens upon Boaz's field. What was her perspective? Hey, I'm young. I'm able to do this. I'm able to get up and provide. I will go and take this opportunity, as meager as it is, and I'm going to take this opportunity that God has given to me. I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to do the next right thing if you're in recovery. If you're in recovery circles, you're familiar with this cliche. And if, and if you're around me much, you're going to hear a lot of recovery cliches, right? Because we're all in recovery from something, whether we know it or not. Sometimes providence prepares a big fish and swallows you up and spits you out on the land where God wants you. Sometimes he prepares a field to go and pick leftovers up in. It's both providence. It's both God's hand working. Here's the thing. As I said earlier, we, we don't always see the open door for what it is. Um, I might not always see what God is doing behind the scenes. Like I might not always see his hand orchestrating and providing, but this is what I always do see. I always see the opportunity that God gives me to make a decision based upon what his word tells me. Right? I always see the opportunity when I'm faced with an opportunity to make a decision of whether or not to obey, of how to weigh this decision upon the nature, the character, and the word of God. That's what we do see. And I doubt Ruth saw this particular field as the opportunity to become the, grand, the great-grandmother of King David, much less the matriarch of the Messiah. Nevertheless, she takes this opportunity and she embraces it. She did the next right thing. Let's continue on in, in verse 5. Verse 5 says that Boaz said to a servant who was in charge of the reefers, Hey, whose young woman is this? So the servant said, who was in charge of the reefers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman. She came back from Naomi, with Naomi, from the country of Moab. And she said, hey, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and she's continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little while in the house. Let's talk about Boaz for just a second. Boaz, his name means literally strength. Strength is in him. Solomon would later name one of the pillars of the temple after Boaz. In verse 1, he's called a man of great wealth. And if you look at the Hebrew in that, it's the same words that the angel describes Gideon as when he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. So it's suffice to say that Boaz was a man of upstanding financial, moral, and social standing. Um, first impressions are important, right? Like Boaz, he, he, he arrives, he drives up to his, his yard, his, his, his crops, his fields, his workers are working, and uh, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, the Lord be with you, right? Yahweh be with you. And his workers uh, were disgruntled and they replied, yeah, whatever, fat cat, get back in your Cadillac and go count your money, leave us alone to work. But that's not what they did, right? That's not what they did. Um, and it's, it's, an, it's an awesome thing when you can live in the presence of God, even in the secular, like even in your workplace, when you can live your life 
um, by the character, by the, the word and, the, and, and, and just exuding what God has done for you in your life. Um, Ruth hears all this. Like, like she hears the exchange between Boaz and the workers. Like she hears them, hey, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. She hears the blessing and then she looks and she sees the blessing that they're talking about. Right? She's picking up leftovers after they have harvested. So she sees this blessing that they're, that they're talking about. And, um, and, and hey, it was probably a pretty good field or else she wouldn't have pulled in there in the first place. Right? So she sees. What and, and I would add that this shapes her perspective of God, of just what it means to be a people of this God. She's foreign to everything that, we're, that they are talking about. Why is, why is Ruth able to pick up the leftovers in Boaz's field? And, I'll, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this, it's because Boaz lives his life by the word of God. We, we talked about the law earlier in Leviticus saying, hey, you, you need to leave parts of your crops for the poor and for the stranger. Um, he didn't have to do that. Right? It's a command in the word of God, but hey, he could have said, hey, man, stocks are down. I'm going to need all that this year. Make sure you get every bit of the barley, every bit of the grain. But he didn't. And if you read the last line of the book of Judges, it tells us what kind of period we're in when it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So here's a man. Here's a man, despite what everybody else is doing, despite the culture that he lives in, he is living his life by the word of God. And I think that we take note of a man like that. The reapers, his Workers, they responded with, hey, the Lord bless you. But I would venture to say that Ruth didn't happen upon a church service going on out in the field. Right? This is the workplace. Right? It's hot. It's sweaty. Now, these are young men, right? men that don't have their own field, so they're working in somebody else's field. Uh, probably a little uncouth. This, uh, and Ruth, being a foreign uh, female, working along beside them, and then you have to take into consideration the way that they saw Ruth. Like she's a Moabite. Like she wears the pendant of adultery and seduction around her neck because of her history. We talked a little bit about two weeks ago in, in Deuteronomy 23. It says that a Moabite, a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, they shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Let's talk about Moabites for just a second. If, if you remember the story of Abraham, Abraham had a nephew. His name was Lot. Lot had two daughters and a wife. When Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed, Lot and his two daughters and, a, and his wife fled, and his wife looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt, right? And that's where Lot's wife stayed. Well, Lot and his daughters went off to uh, live, and, and, and Scripture would find them living in a cave, and his daughters um, had this problem, this idea that they were dealing with. And they said, hey, it's just us and her dad. We don't have any men to get married to and to procreate. I got an idea. Let's get our dad drunk and have kids with him. Right? That's a great idea. Days of our lives has nothing on the Bible. Right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't make this stuff up. Right? So, so they have children with their dad, and the, 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 the offspring become the Moabites 
and the Ammonites. They become thorns in the side of Israel. And then later on, it would be the Moabites that would strategize in trying to overcome Israel. They, they hired a sorcerer. They said, hey, curse him. Sorcerer wouldn't, he couldn't do it. God prevented him from cursing. They said, all right, how about we round up all the loose women and send them into Israel, right, and seduce them. So this, when Israel, when, when, when the, the Jews, when the Israelites that we're talking about in Ruth, when they see a Moabite, this is what they're thinking. This is, this is the context that we are in. A people that were cursed, a people that were adulteresses and seductresses whom God had washed his hands of long ago, metaphorically, but, but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Amen. Verse 8, let's go on to verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Don't go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? I told you they were a little feisty. Haven't I commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face. She bowed down to the ground and she said to him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would take notice of me since I am a foreigner. I want to key in on Ruth's reply for just a few minutes. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you would take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? The CEV version puts it like this. It says that Ruth bowed down to the ground and she said, you know that I come from another country. Why are you so good to me? Why are you so good to me? Have you ever, have you ever been in a place where you're the outsider? Right? Or, or you're the the foreigner, the one who was different. Maybe you didn't speak the same language as everybody else. And the culture was different. Um, me and my family went to uh, California last year. And uh, <laughs> different world, different culture, different language, right? But, but seriously, how, how many, you've, been to that, you've, you've gone to a foreign country and you find that one taxi cab driver that speaks English and you're like, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. And, and like he... They go out of their way to help you with transportation, not for free, um, and, and ordering food and, and so on and so forth. That's where Ruth is at right here. Like she is, her assumption is that her status as an outsider disqualifies her from being shown grace and mercy. Like, I don't see why you would do that for me. It's not hard. It's not hard to find yourself in a place like that when everybody around you reminds you of where you came from. Right, they, 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 they called her, they said it was Ruth the Moabitess from Moab. In case you didn't catch it the first time, she's from Moab, right? You know what that means. Um, but I think there's something that we can glean from her perspective. Right? Remember, today's topic is providential perspective, and we're looking at, we're looking at people's perspectives in the midst of God's providential care. And Ruth's perspective is undeserving. She is undeserving. It's one of undeservedness. Romans eleven six in the New Living says, Since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is. It is free 
and undeserved. His grace is free and undeserved. God's grace is and will always be undeserved. There are those of you here um, that you've been through some things, right? You've been through some things. You've, you might have seemingly got a, a new lease on life, right? And you know what I'm talking about when, when we talk about undeserving, but hey, you know what? Not everybody here is in that boat, right? Not everybody here had to get a new lease on life because you didn't default on the first one, amen? Um, but at the same time, hear me out. This is, this is why I plow hard and deep, right? Because I know that the more helpless and the more sinful and the more weak and the more in need that you see yourself, the greater the Savior that he is. The greater the Savior that he is. Let me take you to the word for that. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in the CEV version says, But he replied to me, he said that my gift of undeserved grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak. Weak. So if Christ keeps giving me his power, I will gladly brag about my weakness. I will gladly brag about my need for him. The problem is not that you're too weak. The problem is that you're too strong. You're too strong. You've got it all together, right? I've got myself this far. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I've got myself through this, this career. I've, I've moved myself into this position, right? I've done this. And the problem is not that you're too weak. You don't know how weak you really are and in need, in need of a Savior. You're in need of a Savior. Some of you here have been, you've been walking in freedom. You've been walking in freedom from that thing and you know what that thing is. You've been walking in freedom from that thing for a while now and you need to be reminded it is but by the grace of God that you continue in that freedom. There are some of you here that have never been enslaved to that thing before and you need to be reminded it's only by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God that you continue in the freedom that he affords. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, therefore, to him who thinks that he stands, to him who thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Jude tells us also that it is him who is able to keep you from stumbling and falling into sin. God is able to keep you from stumbling, but it is only him. But he will keep you from stumbling and falling into sin. In the midst of all this, Ruth sees herself as undeserving, and an undeserving perspective will shape a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Let's continue on to verse 11. Boaz answered, and he said to her, it's been re fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father, you left your mother in the land of your birth, and you came to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you've comforted me, and you've spoken kindly to, me, to your maidservant, even though I'm not, one of, I'm not like one of your maidservants. And Boaz said to her at mealtime, he said, Come here, eat of the bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat down beside the reapers, and, she passed, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate, and she was satisfied. 
and she kept some back. Verse 15 says that when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, and he said, let her glean, even from among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, let grain fall, let grain from the bundles fall out purposely for her. Leave it so that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. Now, Boaz, he recognizes everything that Ruth has done for Naomi. He recognizes her commitment, he recognizes her character, and he prays that the Lord would repay her work and give her a full reward. And at this point, Ruth, being a young, probably attractive young woman, um, he probably hopes that he himself is going to be that full reward that God would give her. Um, He invites her. He invites her out of the position of being just a gleaner. And he invites her into the position of eating at his table. We see gospel all over this text. As a matter of fact, you could probably see the, the whole story of Ruth as an allegory, like a picture of the gospel, a picture of the church. You see, you see Ruth as this pagan, non-Jewish, this Gentile uh, people coming to her, her Boaz, to her Messiah. You see Naomi pictured as Israel in which two kingdoms are birthed out of her because Naomi had two sons. The two sons then pass away and were left with the foreign, pagan, Gentile woman representative of the church that comes begging for scraps in the field of Christ. In the field of Christ. Christ looks on her with favor. He invites her to sit at his table. And eventually, he would take her to be his wife. Jesus, is, Jesus lavishes his grace and favor upon the foreigner and the stranger he lavishes his grace upon the outcast, like every one of us here in this building. This is the grace of our Lord. The gospel is embedded. The gospel of Christ is embedded into every single one of these stories. And it's to point us to Christ, to point us to the Lord, to the Savior, to point us to our need. For my last perspective, our providential perspective, I want to look at Boaz for just a minute. He mentions that it has been reported to him everything that she, she had done for her mother-in-law. And then he does something. He prays for her. He prays for her. He prays that Yahweh would look on her with favor to reward and provide for her. Right? He prays that God's providence would step in and provide for her in a huge way. And I, I believe that he gives us an amazing perspective that I believe tends to be lost in the way that we think of providence. He prays that God would provide and give her a full reward, and then what does he do? He invites her to sit at his table. Right? He invites her to eat from his table, and then what does he do? Look with me at verses 15 and 16 again. This is, and when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded the young man, saying, let her glean, even from among the sheaves, and do not Reproach her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. What does Boaz do? 
Verse 16 tells us that he tells his workers to purposely let grain fall. Are you starting to see Boaz's providential perspective, a way that he sees God working in the midst of his people? He prays that the Lord would provide for her, and then he recognizes his own role in that provision. He prays that God would provide for her in a huge way, that he would bless her, and then with the ability that Boaz has been blessed with, he turns around and he becomes that blessing. Right? He, he recognizes opportunity and steps in and blesses her. How, how many of you know that God answers prayer? Right? How many of you know that God uses people to answer prayer? God uses people to answer prayer. Sometimes God rains down an abundance of manna that just appears on the ground. Sometimes God providentially and supernaturally moves in somebody's heart like Boaz to make sure there's grain on the ground. Providence utilizes people. This is my third perspective is simply this. Providence utilizes people. Providence utilizes people. God, God can and God will use his stuff that he has entrusted you with. He can and will use that stuff to answer somebody's prayer if you'll let him. If you'll let him. I, I think there are two qualifiers for this. In, in the text, it says, it says that it had been reported to Boaz everything that Ruth had done for her mother-in-law. Translation, Boaz is essentially saying, I know where you're at in life. Like, I know what you're up against. I know what you're facing. I know the struggles that you are faced with. Um, Two, two weeks ago, when we looked at the life of Naomi, like she challenged us in this area of becoming disconnected with the reality that there are people in this room, there are people within your sphere of influence, there are people in your workplace, there are people God has placed in your life that are in need. They are in need. They are praying that God would providentially provide for them in a huge way. It, have, it would have been really easy for Boaz to just go on and let the widows do their thing, right? I'm, I'm a businessman. I got too much going on right now. I don't have time to pull over, right? Boaz is aware of, what she, of where she is at in life, and he's aware of her needs. Why do you think this is? I believe, I believe because he was intentional about it. He was intentional about knowing where they were at in life and what their needs were. In order to be used by God, in order for God to use you in his providential care of others, we have to be intentional about knowing where people are at in life. What are they struggling with? What are their needs? Right? Uh, it's going to get a little dirty. Right? You're going to be moved out of your comfort zone a little bit. It, it, it might cost us. It might cost us some of God's stuff that he let us use. It, it might cost us. Um, I mentioned two qualifiers. The second qualifier is this. It's our willingness. It's our willingness, like our willingness to allow God to use his stuff. Um, not because he has to. Right? He doesn't have to use your stuff. His stuff that he entrusted you with. He doesn't have to do, not because we are his only means of answering prayer, but because he's called us to. 
Like he has, in, he has challenged us to this and he has invited us in to be part of what he's doing in somebody's life. He has invited us in. Um, as we close, I want to just hit a few cliff notes. In our first point, we talked about Ruth um, just getting up out of her house, heading out, to do, determined to do whatever she could in order to provide. She did the next right thing. She didn't sit around the house and wait on Grace to find her. She went out into the fields to find Grace in somebody's eyes. Let me say this. I, I don't want to diminish the thought, the necessity of praying and being led by the Holy Spirit. What I want to emphasize is the reality that God is prone to do some of the biggest things in people's life, to work in some of the biggest life-changing ways, especially during the normal, mundane, everyday events of life. God reminds us through the prophet Zechariah, hey, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise the small beginnings. You, you may have been praying for God to do something huge in your life. But like Ruth, the opportunity that, you've, that you see in front of you is going out in the field and picking up leftovers. Right? Embrace that. Embrace that. It, it, it may very well be a microcosm of what you're praying for, but embrace that opportunity. God does Messiah-level things through picking up leftovers in a field. In our second point, we looked at Ruth's perspective of being undeserving of favor. She was undeserving of the favor that was poured out in her life. And I, and I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking that you need to feel worthless. Like there's a stark difference between undeserving and worthless. Your worth this morning is measured by the cross of Christ. Your worth this morning is measured by the gift of the very Son of God who gave himself for you. God, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us. And I would add, and your worth. And that while you were yet still sinners, right? While you were still out there, Christ died for you. Christ gave his life for you. You are undeserving, and yet he values you anyway. As our prayer teams come forward and the worship team comes out, last of all, providence utilizes people. Providence utilizes people. Um, be a reason. Be a reason for somebody to thank God this week. Second Corinthians, and I didn't have this up there, 2 Corinthians 9, 12 in the New Living, it, it, Paul's talking about them gathering up a gift and giving it to the people in Jerusalem that were in need. And he, he, he makes a statement. He says, two good things come from this, gift, this ministry of giving. The first thing, the needs of the people are met. The second thing, it causes them to give God thanks. It causes them to give God thanks. Be a reason this week that somebody's going to thank God, that somebody is going to say, hey, God's listening, right? God, God is aware of what I'm, going on, what I'm going through. God is providing, God is providentially caring for me.
be that reason. It, it may mean that you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, right? It may mean that you, some, of your, some of your me time, right? We all have me time. You might have to block out some of that me time to go and take the opportunity that God gives you to invest in somebody's life, to go and turn to the person sitting behind you and say, hey, man, I don't know your name. You know, what, what, what's your name? Like, let's share life. Let's do life. Where are you coming from? Um, take that opportunity. God, God commands us. God challenges us. And God invites us to be part of his plan. Dustin Corsi, would you pray for us as we close with some worship? Yes, Father, uh, we thank you for the message today. Uh, I pray that uh, every person, Lord God, that's here today, Lord, would take that message, Lord God, and go out into the world and do, Lord, uh, what we've heard. God, I pray you would bless the messenger who brought it to us today. God, and also uh, uh, thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, one person, Lord God, in here, Lord, under the sound of my voice, Lord, that's having any doubts, Lord, or, or whatever it may be, Lord God, I ask that you uh, would soften their heart, Lord God, give them the courage and strength to uh, to step out, Lord, and come and pray with somebody, Lord, and let them know about the decision they've made in their life today. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord.